Hello, welcome to the New Stack Context, a podcast where we review the week's hottest news in cloud native technologies and look ahead to topics we expect will gain more attention in coming weeks. serverless has grown beyond its initial use case of running small batch jobs. Workloads now require some sort of state that must be maintained, even if only temporarily. For web and e-commerce tasks, for instance, to this end, reactive microservices framework provider Lightbend has devised an architecture called CloudState to bring distributed stateful data retention for functions as a service and other serverless tasks. It's built on Akka clusters, which offers distributed resilient messaging through peer-to-peer communications with sidecars attached to each function. In this episode of the Newstack Context, we speak with Jonas Boner, Akka creator and founder and chief technology officer of Lightbend, about the challenges of bringing state to serverless, about reactive microservices frameworks, and about cloud state itself. Welcome to the show, Jonas. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. And also joining us today is TNS Managing Editor, Job Jackson, and I'm Libby Clark, Editorial and Marketing Director. So just a quick note to say that this is our last episode of the New Stock Context podcast. Starting in less than a week, on October 12th, we're launching a new podcast series on engineering management called Scaling New Heights on the New Stock Makers. So you should go check it out on the newstackmakers.io. Our guest host, Christine Heckert, CEO of Scalar, is talking with engineering leadership at companies like Robinhood, Airbnb, and Nextdoor about the technical and human challenges their teams face at scale and how they survived the valley of despair. So please go check that out on the New Stack Makers podcast starting October 12th. So Jonas, can you just explain to, to, to me what state is and why it is increasingly necessary for serverless Sure, I'll try. But first, what is what is state? State can mean mean a lot of different things, and and there are you know, different types of state. You know, the most um, you know what most people talk about when they say state stateful, I suppose, and is 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 the actual domain data. You know, the the thing that you that you naturally put normally put in in a in a SQL da- da- database. You know, for your service or record for lo- for long term storage, but state can also mean you know, it's a useful state. It's also, you know, things like scratch data. Scratch data, I, 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 I often call it scratch data. And what that is, is that, you know, data that, that's used during the computation. You know, it's just sort of when you, for, like, for example, when, when you take notes, you know, and you want to solve a problem or something, you might, you might do some intermediate calculations on the side, you know, some sort of scratch pad. And, and, and that, that type of data is also important, you know, to keep uh, resilient, to keep available. If, the compute, if, if it's a long-running computation, you don't want to lose the data, the intermediate data, you know, before you actually finish the results. And once you finish it, it becomes more domain the, the data that you can put, put, put the result in the, in the database for, for long-term storage. And sort of related to scratch data, you also have things like session data. That's also, you know, so it's in some more, more, more intermediate, but it's, a, it's for a different purpose, you know, it's when you have... 
when you when you want to have data that is might not necessarily be tied to the actual service, you know, it might be more long running than the actual service. As the services of the service can sort of come and go and sign in and out of a session, but the, but the data is still available. But the data that doesn't necessarily need to be added to a database for long term storage is often wasteful to do that because you know they need to constantly go and fetch it, but you want to have it in memory. Now, the other types of data is also, you know, even perhaps even more shortly, this recorded coordination data. If you just want to have two services agreeing on, on, on something, you know, then, then, then you're only doing a vote or something like that. And then that data needs to be sent around and need to be made available and scalable, but that doesn't need to be around for any longer than the actual vote. And then, you, and then once the voting is done, you can store the, the result again in a more long-term storage. So, 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 you know, all of these things are important, you know, ways of managing state and, and, and working with state. And, and, you know, how it ties to serverless is that I, the way I view serverless is that serverless is really, it's not, you know, same thing as function as a service. It's actually uh, way more. Function service is only the first step on a long journey towards this, this serverless nirvana. And that, you know, the way I see serverless is the more of a, sorry, it's, it is an experience. It's a new way of thinking and developing for the cloud. Uh, that's that's changing both how we build software and operate software and you know deploy and you know, all the things in between. So so it would be really sad if you only could, could in this new new amazing experience if the only thing you could do you know is is build like stateless applications, more compute oriented. Applications like you see many deployed today on Amazon Lambda and, and, and you know and similar te technology. So the, what I want with serverless is to be able to build general purpose applications. And in any general purpose application, there's always somewhere that we need to manage state. You know, it can be long-term storage state for your actually you know for your do domain data or any of the other ones I talked about. So state is really at the center of a lot of these. You know enterprise type application or, or non-trivial application that have many different use cases you know, all, all interweaving. So that's why I believe it's really important to add state to the picture, to, to complement stateless with a stateful approach, to, to essentially to give the users or the developer more, more, more tools in the, in the toolbox. You know, some things are still greater to, to use stateless techniques for, absolutely. But there are certain things that's very hard to do well without a, a, a nice way of working with state, uh, sort of a predictable way of working with state. Terrific, terrific. Now, uh, traditionally, developers have relied on, uh, you know, well, for moving state back to a database or some other data data store. They've relied on uh, CRUD, create, read, update, and delete, and SQL. But you have yeah. said in, in your presentations that this is no longer sufficient. It's, uh, I guess, it's too wide, uh, too much variance. And instead, cloud state itself uses, if I got this correct, event sourcing, conflict-free replicated data types, and in some cases, key value stores. Uh, what's the advantage of using these abstractions over the standard CRUD SQL? Yeah, this is, that's a great question. And I... I, first, I want, I want to say that there are there are a category of use cases that absolutely fits CRUD best. You know, it's, it it all it always always de depends. But it's what what is key, I think, is to have many tools in the toolbox to solve you know each use case in the most optimal fashion. And 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 you know we're we're sort of been spoiled with when we've been working with the monolith, uh, you know, non-distributed applications in like the last twenty years or even more. You know that we could actually rely on this single almighty database. You know the SQL database, 
uh, and it's been working quite well. But you know, the game's completely changing when you move to the cloud because in the cloud you have a distributed systems, and and that's a very different world. It's it, I mean everything that you had expected to work, you know, sometimes worked, but it works differently, and sometimes it actually doesn't work. And and you know, so, some of the problems with with only having a, C, a, C, a SQL database is that it, it limits the options. And it, and it can sometimes, you know, introduce a single point of failure and single single point of bottleneck because if you always need to put your your state somewhere else, you know, you, if, if you're using it in your cloud services, but you always have to put it somewhere else, that means that you always need to go and fetch that from somewhere else all the time. So that's you know that's that's one of the key things we're having. I mean, sort of good locality of reference. I mean, actually bringing the state into the application can be you know beneficial. And and so what we have done in cloud state is adding. On top of you know just using using CRUD and key and, and traditional key value, you know storage, we adding event sourcing as you as you just said. That's a great way of, of working with state in an event based system. It, it doesn't fit all models, you know. But if you're already building a, a lambda style where you have events flowing in you know, event driven architecture using Kafka, or, you know that similar pub sub type of architecture that is very popular. Then you already have all the events flowing around in the, in the system. You're, you're sending it, you know, the stream of events between services, and the and the, the beauty of event sourcing is the only thing you need to do that is simply to store these events in the order as they already arrive into the service. Huh. You just log them one by one by one as they enter the service, you know. And the great thing about that is that then you instead of just storing the latest snapshot, you know, my current state, you know, my of, of, of the domain state in my in my service, and always doing that, and using you know what is called destructive updates. I'm almost overwriting the latest state with a with a new. That means that I'm losing all the history, while event sourcing keeps all the history around. You know, version, fully versioned, ever since it started, the, ever since you started the the system, and this means that you, you that you can use this history for you know auditing, for for debugging. You can also use you use you using it for failover. You know, so if the components fail, you just replay the event log and bring the state, the service up to where it was when it when it failed. Or you can you can replay it for replication. You you might want to have two hot replicas, you know, side by side of your service. They can just subscribe to the changes in this event log and making sure that they are always up to date. You know, consuming the events in the same fashion as your or, or, original service is doing in real time. So I think it's a really good fit for this type of event driven systems where where. It really fits, fits. It really fits like a glove. And one of the key aspects also is that since each service owns it, owns its data, it can have its own event log. That means that you have full isolation. So, so there's really no way of of you sort of you know of, of being tempted sort of peek into other services data. Like if you put everything in the same SQL database, and it's all just tables, you can easily. I'm just going to do this, you know, and then I'm just going to go in and check here. I'm just going to do this little update. It's going to be easier. And you know, then you then you violate the integrity, the data integrity, and the isolation that you know that you that's very sort of key to microservices, and and that can also lead to a lot of problems. So so I I think having a solid architecture, the fits event driven architecture, when you have an event driven architecture, is is really key. So so I, that's why I really think that you need to yet again more tools in the toolbox. Sometimes key value and CRUD is better, you know, but but for a lot of use cases, you know, event sourcing is worth looking at. I'd like to talk a little bit about how this looks to developers. So Cloud State offers a simple state-in, state-out interface as a service. Yeah. Can you explain how this works with the sidecars, with the function? Sure. And, and, so, and then how does that then look to developers? Sure. So, so what Cloud State adds you know, as to, to, to the picture 
it, it's that it, it has this sidecar architecture that sort of adds an inversion of, of, of control. So it's actually the sidecar that manages the communication and the state on behalf of the function and, and let the function knows you know, on an as-needed basis. So whenever the state updates, it lets the function know and updates it. So the function always has the latest data, but it doesn't need to manage the data himself. Same thing with, with the communication. So, so, so that's the benefit of this of this sidecar, you know, approach. That also, you know, that one of the problems with with using with letting the function manage the state himself is that it's sort of black box to the to to the backend. The, the backend really has no idea because it's written, you know, in library code in any way that you know, calling out to Oracle, Oracle, or Dynamo, or, or you know, probably using JJDBC, using Java, but you know, and. It, in any different ways, and doing the queries completely ad hoc and things, things like that. You know, that's completely you know hidden from the back end. So this is, and 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 but but by sort of externalizing the management of of state, first first means that the function really doesn't need to do anything more than receive state when it's needed, and once it's you know done updating state, it sort of emits it. So it's very similar to the to the to the model that you already have in Lambda now, where you have like event coming in event going out. And the function really doesn't need to know how the event came ended up in his function or 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 how it you know it's gonna you know where it's gonna be sent off and how when after it emits the event. And the same thing is is true now for state in cloud state that you have event also state in and state out and the mechanics and the management of all that is all delegated down to, down to the back end. But but you know one of the key things is 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 not just that it's not only simpler for the function, but the back end itself can now look across all of these services, uh, all these functions, and 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 starting to optimize you know data access patterns and, and can start batching things or or and shard things and move things around, all to optimize you know the data management collectively, you know, at, at, a, at a larger scale. And, and, and then it can make a lot of interesting optimizations and do things more efficiently than you can if you're only using, you know, the database from within your service, because then that's your whole world, so to speak, if that, if that makes sense. Terrific, terrific. Now, uh, you are the creator of Akka, actually, and this plays a big role in cloud state. Can you, well, can you explain what uh, what you, what was the problem space that you originally developed Akka for? And, uh and now, how is it useful for this particular workload too? Sure. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I created ACA 2009, and and so it's it's been 11 years now, and it's I started out, you know, out of out of pain, you know, I like a lot of a lot of our problems are probably solved by by having the you know someone go through a lot of pain. Right. Uh, but, but <laughs> I was actually solving it for myself. I was I was back in the back in the day. I was being a, you know I've been doing distributed systems for a while, working BA systems, and then you know as a startup doing distributed systems as well called Terracotta, and I, I and I helping my clients there, and also you know after being. A, being, being sort of running my own consultancy firm after that in distributed systems and availability scalability, it became clear that the tools that people had in, when working in Java and on the JVM, the Java EE Enterprise Edition, so they were really inferior to what what some some other platforms had. You know, you know, one 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 thing that I started looking at and was really intrigued by was a was a platform and language called Erlang that Ericsson, you know, the Swedish big so like big Swedish telecom company, had been using with great success and in insane availability, you know, all the way up to nine nines of of availability. You know, that's just that's just in, that's never that's not heard of, and that's that really got me interested in 
and what are they doing that we're not doing, you know, and how come, you know, that they're, you know, they're so much better off than we are. And it, and it became clear that a lot of the things that we were using in, in back in the day for distributed systems, like things like, you know, distributed shared state, for example, instead of a shared nothing architecture and, you know, d- distributed locks and transactions, you know, XA transaction, you know, EJBs and CORB and all of those things, they were really suboptimal to solving actually the problem at, at hand. So, but while in Erlang, you know, they, they had this concept called actors, that's actually quite old. It's all the way, all the way back to in the early 70s, where you have you these like really isolated autonomous components that can sort of live anywhere. They can, they can, they can move around and they all communicate asynchronously, you know, sharing no state. They're essentially microservices, you know, but 40 years old, 50 years back. So, so I, got, I got really excited about that and I decided to port over all of those ideas over to the JVM. And that was the starting point for Akka. So in a way, you know, Akka's really been cloud native, you know, uh, through through the actor model ever since day one, you know, even, even before we even talked about cloud native. So it's not, it's, it's not you know, it is surprising that Akka's really great foundation for things like serverless and and and, and cloud. You know, you, you know, Akka, for example, has been used to implement OpenWhisk, you know, that is, that is that is a competitor to say Amazon Lambda, one of the open source, you know, uh, factors of service models and, ma- and many similar products. So it's it's really been been used for this type of work for for a long long time. And in in, in particular, I have to say, you know, the actor model together with Akka's cluster management cap- capabilities and 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 distributed data management capabilities became it really. Really, really easy to implement cloud state. Cloud state is actually just a thin layer. It's just on top of Akka, and Akka is really doing all the heavy lifting. So it's essentially just this sidecar, and you know this protocol that Libby talked about is for state in and state out. And this protocol is gRPC based. That means that we can have clients in any language. So Akka used to be just Java Scala, but with, but through cloud state, we we can actually support you know that for any any language that has gRPC support which which is like you know anything from like python you know you know go you know c sharp uh, in the any you know uh, rust um, javascript um, kotlin you know whatever you know almost almost any language today implement gRPC which means that they can be uh, building you know functions in their in their language for cloud state Terrific, terrific. And uh, for those, I guess, like myself, who weren't paying attention very closely, uh, you think, oh, Java, oh, well, then, you know, there's a big startup time that's associated that, and that would, I guess, create lag. Uh, but but you're using uh, Graal VM to, to cut that down, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah Graal, VM is, Graal VM is really essential to what we do. And I think to anyone that tries to build this type of things on the JVM, I think that the JVM is actually doing a great job for a ton of different things. But you know where it's lacking Go and things like that. Historically, it's, it's in the startup time. That's quite slow. And when it comes to function, function service, you know, was, the, the quick startup time is actually key. And the second thing is the memory consumption. That the each, if you put it, you know, a JVM in each Docker container running one single function, you know, then of course it's then it's game over very quickly. But Graal fixes all of these things. It actually compiles, you know, things down to native, so it's it's as efficient, you know, as as can be. So so so, it's uh, it's been really doing a lot of a lot of magic for us. Terrific. I noticed on the website you have something called Akka Serverless. Uh, how does that relate to Cloud State? That's a great question. You know, it's so Cloud State is 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 a fully open source project. It's Apache two is available on GitHub. You can go to CloudState.io. You know, and we we have a great you know growing community building. 
you know, some some actually helping out with the reference implementation back end in, in Akka, but most of them, you know, helping building, you know, support for their favorite language. So you can, they can use the more kinds of you know, languages. But 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 but, it, but but open source cloud is, is essentially three things. It's, it's sort of first a protocol that we talked about. It's a specification for the protocol. If if ever, you know, we want to have more than one implementation of it. And then there's also a reference implementation. Uh, you know, might it might ever just be one, you don't know, but but the idea is to abstract it in a way that allows for more than one implementation if people are interested. So 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 that is cloud state. Aka serverless, you know, that's that's you know our, our way of oper- operationalizing cl- the open source cloud state as a service because you know serverless is meant to be consumed as a service. You're not supposed to download you know something from GitHub and start up Kubernetes instances and, and run everything yourself just to to get that great experience. The whole point is that you shouldn't have to care about any of that. You have need to this like serverless because you don't see the servers, you don't need to run them, you don't need to operate anything. You just use the service. So, so CloudSync is really meant to be, you know, consumed that way. And that's what we're doing with, with Aka Serverless. We're sort of operationalizing that in the way that, that clients can just sign up, you know, in, and, and start writing these small functions. And we, and we do all the heavy lifting for them uh, uh, in the back end. It's just like Amazon Lambda and, and, and similar, to, you know, as services. So, so, and that's commercial. So, so we have one low open source, you know, aspect of the things, and 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 we want a commercial as well. And and we're 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 actually rolling out the beta of that, you know, very very soon. So if people are interested, they should just go to Lightband and and, and check it out. So we would love to get some some early feedback on on what we're doing here, as well as getting help on the open source. Definitely, it's really exciting stuff. Awesome. Well, I want to try to squeeze in one last question, and we're out of time. Okay. But, uh, what are some of those early use cases that you've seen for cloud state? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, it's it's most I mean, so far. I have to say, I haven't, I haven't, I don't know anyone that's actually you know built a real production system and deployed it yet. You know, it's people are are working with it and 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 and, and trying it out and things like that. And there might be that I that I'm not aware of. But as I said, since it's actually meant to be consumed as a service, it needs someone needs to do that, and then we'll probably see what what people do with it. So I think it's a little bit early to say. Uh, what people will use it for, you know, I have my ideas, of course, and, and and my vision of it, as I said earlier, is that people should build general purpose applications because we're not taking anything away. You know, you can build, still build everything you do with Amazon Lambda, you know, stateless type of workloads, but 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 you, you can also do, you know, the stateful aspect of things, which should give you enough to build essentially any application. That said, I mean, you know, you never know how your customers will take it and and where what people will 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 do with it. So it's. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite early. You know, we have a ton of, let's say, a ton, but we have a few, a few, you know, sample applications and 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 reference, you know, implementations of things, and and they're often evolve on things like you know, shopping carts and e-commerce and these type of things. But uh, that's just one aspect of things, of course. Uh, I'm sure there will be many others. So it's a little bit too early to say. I mean, in 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 six months, hopefully, I have more experience to 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 show you, <laughs> to, to talk about where what people actually are using it for. E-commerce is a good standard serverless use case anyway, so I guess that makes sense. Well, it's great to have you on the show, Jonas. Thanks for joining us for our very last episode of Context. It's our our pleasure and our honor to have you on the show. Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. I appreciate the time. So Alex, what podcast do you have for us this week? 
chaos engineering, what it means, why it matters, an interview with Colton Andrews, CEO and founder of Gremlin, is our podcast of the week. Here's what Colton has to say about why chaos engineering is a bit like a fire drill. You don't go up and start testing uh, the flight of an aircraft without an instrument control panel. And when you're running experiments, if you can't measure the results, then you're not really running an experiment. You're, you're, <laughs> you're just seeing what happens. And so to me, those are critical. A lot of teams are really struggling to figure out, you know, what is SRE? What does operations look like? As we've moved from a world where there was a QA team, a dev team, and an ops team to a world where those responsibilities are shared and the lines are blurred, folks are, are figuring out how to address these problems. And to me, that's one of the other strong suits of chaos engineering is it provides a good vehicle to test and to practice these things. The analogy I like to draw is that of the fire drill. We've all grown up running fire drills because if a fire breaks out, we all need to respond calmly and safely. And because we've practiced it many times, we all know what to do. But the truth is many of our teams haven't gotten good operational training. And this is this was my life at Amazon and Netflix. They toss you a pager and say, hey, figure it out. And the, the truth is, if you have the opportunity to practice during the day, you can build that muscle memory. You can ask those questions and it gives you a place to, to test and to train and to learn. What are the basics of chaos engineering? What is required? What are the roles that people have? This is the heart of the discussion that I have with Colton. And a focus of our discussion that we'll be having at Chaos Comp when I'm participating in an Ask the Experts session with Mikola Palakowski, an engineer at Bloomberg who has developed his own open source tools for chaos engineering and really has emerged as a leader in the practice. Look forward to the discussion at Chaos Comp on October 6th. At 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Hope to see you there. Great, thanks. And Richard, which contributed article from our sponsors got your attention this week? Yes, thanks, Libby. We've had some really interesting posts recently about infrastructure as code, which is a trending topic on our site. One of those posts was from Guy Eisencott, who is co-founder of Bridge Crew, and he pointed out that IAC has a few interesting benefits for cloud security. He's noted at the start that there are complexities in infrastructure as code that can result in security errors and misconfigurations. However, IAC isn't just a source of risk, but it's also a huge opportunity to transform the way teams keep their infrastructure secure, he wrote. And he pointed out three benefits to IAC frameworks, such as Terraform and CloudFormation. One is that these products transform manual infrastructure configurations into machine-readable templates, and that adds more consistency to your IT platform. In addition, there are cost and time savings uh, that IAC can bring uh, because it makes it easier to apply configuration, which allows engineers to spend less time doing repetitive manual work. And the third benefit he noted was collaboration between security and DevOps. When cloud security is shifted left, he wrote, it also becomes more accessible to engineering and DevOps teams. So do check that out if uh, you're thinking about 
using one of these products, infrastructure as code, uh, is definitely something that our readers are interested in hearing more about. So I'm sure we'll have more coverage on the new stack in the coming weeks. Back to you, Libby. Fantastic. Okay, Joe, you're up. Terrific. <laughs> Perfect. We had a lot of interesting stuff on the site this week. News is popping after people of uh, coming back from, I guess, a little bit of a dull summer, but uh, news is coming along quite a bit. Uh, number one is VMware is setting out to uh, acquire SaltStack uh, for advanced multi-cloud automation. We've been following SaltStack a while. They've been uh, big on the uh, automation. Originally, it was uh, IT infrastructure management, and their competitors with uh, Chef and Ansible and Pup. It. And uh, so the VMware purchase makes a lot of sense. We had uh, looked into it uh, early on. Uh, our, one of our writers, Bruce Gain, had uh, taken a look at what's going on. As you know, VMware Tenzu is uh, is their offering for uh, cloud native applications. It leverages Kubernetes quite heavily. And vRealize does the, kind of the same for uh, compute net network and storage virtualization. Uh, what's kind of missing in both those cases is the automation capabilities, the ability to uh, spin up workloads and and to modify them uh, as time goes on. And uh, a soft stack would make a nice, nice addition to the VMware stack in helping that along. Now, configuration management has been a hot topic for us in the past few months since KubeCon Europe. And, uh, and automation is a big piece of that. So that's uh, that, that's an interesting acquisition. For sure, for sure. And you're saying, uh, you remember a few uh, weeks ago that Progress Software had bought uh, Chef. And of course, Ansible is owned by Red Hat. And last year, they were, we did a lot of coverage of their uh, use of uh, of Ansible to uh, foster automation as well. So uh, it's kind of kicking up in that field again after being kind of quiet uh, for a couple of years. Great. What else do you got for us? All right. The other interesting story this week uh, comes from uh, Microsoft Ignite. And now Microsoft, we've always known as a company, they do a lot of innovation there, but primarily they're they're really best at taking products uh, that others have have invented and uh, make them more usable to the, the mass audience or the IT audience. Uh, you know, Excel is a good example of this. It's basically uh, Dan Bricklin had invented PhysiCalc in the early 80s, but it took Microsoft basically to customize that for the uh, business user, and that's how we have Excel today. And we're starting to see the same thing with Kubernetes. Uh, with the latest release of the Azure Kubernetes service, they have an interesting new feature. You can uh, now start or stop a cluster when you don't need it. Just the way you, uh, you know, you can stop a uh, virtual machine or pause a video or hibernate a laptop. This is very interesting for uh, development work where you're just working for the day, through the day. You don't need a cluster to run all night or for bursty uh, workloads. And literally it is a, uh, a set of commands, AZS, uh, AKS stop and AZS, AZ, AKS start. And uh, it's uh, it leverages uh, good technology. Microsoft has always already been working on backing up clusters for resiliency anyway. So it's just it's just one more step to add the uh, stop and start commands onto that. So some nice innovation happening uh, from uh, Microsoft, at least with its commercial offering. It is uh, interesting. I wonder what the uh, energy performance uh, and energy use uh, consequences of that will be, because that. And that was a, a talk that stuck out in my head at KubeCon EU, actually, the keynote about 
you know, making sure you remember to turn off your cluster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> now, if you can just press the pause button, that'd be, that. that's great. I'm sure there's a lot of cases where, you know, uh, if spinning down and spinning the cluster back up the next day is too much work and you're like, eh, you know, maybe just leave it on overnight. Yeah, this would definitely help in uh, that regard. Uh, you can only pause clusters for 30 days, so you can't put them in permanent cold state. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a useful feature. Cool. Well, thanks again for a great episode, Job. It's good to have you on the show as, as usual. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for our final episode of Context. It's been fun. Yes. I'm going to miss our conversations, Job. Maybe we should just start <laughs> recording our editorial meetings. What do you think? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> All right. Uh, make sure uh, make sure you go check out the new Stack Makers, um, where we're uh, starting up a new series on engineering management starting October 12th. Thanks, everybody. Listen to more episodes of the New Stack Context at thenewstack.io slash podcasts. Please rate and review us on iTunes, like us on YouTube, and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.